And we're live. Joe, go. What new hell has happened this past week, Neil? Um, a lot. A lot? Yeah. We've got three main topics today. Basically, the ICJ ruling on Israel and genocide. Mm. Um, probably also cover the farmers' protests in Europe, which mm-hmm. have spread to France and many other places. And thirdly, the Texas border showdown. Mm-hmm. In no particular order. But there'll be other stuff too, but the main things we'll talk about. So what do you want to start with? Start with the... Them... Uh, yeah, you're raring to go this week. Start with them Jews. Waiting... <laughs> 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 Then what do you mean? You mean the, the Muslims? Huh? The Muslims. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I meant Muslims. Did yeah, I say remember, Jews? Remember what I told you? Insert Muslims whenever. Ah, I just get confused, you know. The two of them. It's hard to pick it out of it. It's very confusing. I mean, in the past <coughs> 20 years, 25 years, I've been programmed to think that Muslims are the you know, threat to entire Western civilization. And then recently people have been saying it's the Jews. And I just get very confused. And I think it's well, everybody, you know. Oh, it's, it's and not only the Jews, it's the Muslims, Muslims and the Jews, and then um, white people. Uh, what does that leave? Chinese and blacks uh, that, are, that are the only good ones. Like, So, I don't know. <coughs> I, <coughs> I just throw them all in together, really. You know? The Inuits. What side are they on? Well, they're, 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 they're minorities. So they're all, right. all the minorities are good. Anyway, yeah. ICJ ruling... It's genocide, potentially. No, it was... Everyone seems to have a subjective take on it. What do you think? Um, it was Israel... The ICJ is like, Israel, we don't... The ICJ, basically, they all, none of them wanted to say that Israel was guilty of genocide because, well, I mean, what's the definition of genocide? Okay, there's a definition of genocide, but it's still kind of like open to interpretation given the situation, you know, given the case, you know, because like genocide is against a group of people, right? Uh, is there a certain, is there an exact percentage of those of those people that you would uh, have to kill before, mm-hmm. it's, it's, you know, and then and then it's genocide? Um, so I don't think anybody has to define it that, that specifically. So the ICJ was like, well, we're not going to, we're not exactly going to say that Israel has committed genocide um, because it has only killed... One percent of the Gaza population, right? So one percent, apparently that's not enough to. And then there's, you know, well, we weren't really deliberately killing them. It was kind of collateral damage, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And the next question is, well, so is, is it, so Israel hasn't committed genocide? Is it committing genocide? Well, that's even more problematic. How can you tell? I mean, that's like you need a crystal ball to see into the future if someone is in the process of committing genocide. So they were faced with a situation where they were just going to be able to have to say, listen. Israel, just stop, stop. You know, protect civilians. You know, be 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 nice, be human, be be, be civil. You know, you're meant to be a, a Western aligned or Western like or even Western as uh, democracy. Um, in Western democracies, we don't just you know slaughter people that we don't like or or that annoy us or that we want to get rid of. We don't do that. So it looks like you might be doing that. At least a lot of people are saying that that's what it looks like you're doing. And you don't want to continue doing that, so please try to just rein it in a little bit. Um, don't give us any reason. Don't don't just. It's like Israel. We don't want to see you back here. 
Like when you go to the headmaster, mm. headmaster says, listen, you've been doing this, this, and this. That has to stop. That behavior has to stop. Now get out of here, and I don't want to see you back in this room. That's what the ICJ told Israel. And Israel went, thanks very much. Um, well, yeah, their blink reaction was <clears throat> anti-Semitism and this tweet from a government minister. Um, I think it translates to Hague Schmeig. <laughs> um, I'll look for it Hague in a second. Yeah, he, 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 Minister for Economy or something, he just tweeted Hague Schmeig that night. Um, okay, but before we... The, Israel, Israel has... has Officially responded and, and unofficially, but um, okay. So it's genocide. If you, if you, but they will be back, won't they? It, my understanding is this is an initial ruling to assert whether the case so no, that brought has merit. Be, check and they won't be back in the sense of like a whole rigmarole again. They just have to submit a report. Does the IJ who then gives it to? Uh, to South Africa since South Africa took the case and um, the, you know I suppose the ICJ and South Africa will you know together decide whether or not Israel has in the report that it, that it provides in a month's time it has to provide a report showing that it is taking measures to not be genocide and then they'll submit that report and say look here's what we've done to not be so genocide as we have been up until now um, and then the ICJ in South Africa will say, okay, that, that sounds reasonable enough. Or not. Or not, but then it doesn't matter. Like, well, it doesn't then, matter, that's the end well, of it. Well, no, at the end, maybe. But Legally. I, to be honest, I don't have much faith in the ICJ. Like, I mean, I, of don't, course have, not, I no. don't have faith in any Western institution when it comes to Israel, obviously. Any Western institution or it's, government. it's a global institution. Huh? Technically, it's not. Yeah, yeah, but where is it? Where did it happen? Uh, Holland. Yeah. Um, Why was it can not? You put that like up? This is the pertinent passage that uh, was highlighted by a member of the South African team. So he's a South African diplomat, Clayton Munyela. Um, because there's a question of whether or not it calls for a ceasefire. He his reading of it was that yes, it does. Um, uh, I can't put it up. It's telling me something went wrong. Try reloading, and it's not working. So I'm trying to figure out why. Do I have it? What is it? I do. So he tweeted, to be clear, the ICJ has effectively ordered an immediate ceasefire. Effectively? Because, yeah. And for Israel to halt military operations. Uh, he quotes a document there. The state of Israel shall ensure with immediate effect that its military does not commit any acts described in point one. Mm-hmm. The, these are A, killing of members of the group, Palestinians, who were designated officially by the ICJ as yeah a group that you know sh- is protected mm-hmm. by the Genocide Convention. And B, causing serious bodily or mental harm. I'm still quoting the document. Israel must submit a report next month on how they're impl- implementing these measures. Mm-hmm. Course, that's you know, pie in the sky. Someone suspected of genocide and they're gonna, but whatever. Still, that's the way states versus states works, right, in international law. And then, yeah, he has an image, a screenshot of, of the passage from the document. So he, he's saying that my reading of that is without saying we demand a ceasefire, which would have been the headline. Mm-hmm. And the ICJ would have had more heat on it, I suppose. The implication of what they were officially ordering, legally ordering in this document is a ceasefire immediately. So, 
that's that's what that's how the South Africa read it. That's also how the Palestinian Authority in the West Bank read it. Um, now they would, I mean, they would want to get what they can out of it. Israel literally just goes, man, whatever, uh, officially, <clears throat> with Netanyahu saying this is anti-Semitism, of course. Mm, of course you know. it is. Um, and more, as we'll discuss in a minute. Um, <clears throat> it's the first time now, well, this is the first time a case has ever been brought against Israel successfully. But this is interesting that the Palestinians were never considered a protective group under the genocide committee. It took this process for, the, for this to happen. Mm-hmm. Remember, it's been 75 years, the Nakba, all the mm-hmm. wars, all the Operation Castleheads and everything else. So I suppose if they say the wheels of justice move slowly, well, then this, this is just – it's. My first blink was it's a cop-out, but mm-hmm. I suppose it's a win. Because on paper, genocide and Israel go together. Mm-hmm. They do. And the and, and there's no there's no kind of pushback on that. I mean, they, there was. Israel sent representatives to argue against it. Mm-hmm. But the, the pushback has had to come out extra-legally. The pushback came that night when... <clears throat> Besides tweeting, anti-Semitism, Israeli government officials, within hours, went on the attack, accusing the UN, um, RWA, UNRWA, UNRWA, something, Relief and Works Agency, of Mm -hmm. being involved in the October 7th attacks. Mm -hmm. Such that by the end of the day, was it Friday, the ruling? Mm -hmm. By the end of the day, the media's headlines, it was a sub, it was just a a small story. Mm -hmm. The headline was UN cooperated with Hamas to carry out October 7th attacks. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, by yesterday morning, uh, as of today, this weekend, nine Western countries have withdrawn funding that they, their kind of mm-hmm. subscriptions, their contributions to this UN agency um, to the tune of several hundred million dollars. Yep. Um, well, just on the... Yeah, can you, can you get... Uh, can you Things up on the screen. Throw it up. This is um, just hours after the ACJ ruling. Um, the revelations about UNRWA from Israel. Uh, it was strong corroborated intelligence, according to an Israeli official. A lot of the intelligence is a result of interrogations of militants who were arrested during the October seventh attack. So it's obviously a joke. So it's like you know the CIA interrogation tactic, supposedly that produces uh, the answers that you want to hear. Oh yes, we are all working for UNRWA. <clears throat> all of us that stormed. Stormed out of uh, Gaza on October seventh. Yeah, a bunch of us were working for UNRWA, according to Israel, according to uh, you know testimony from Palestinians extracted under torture. So yeah, it's obviously bullshit. And the, the fact ch- that the just bad. Well, the, well the most interesting thing about it is is that uh, Israel's response is pretty uh, psychopathic in a way because what they're signaling basically by revealing this, and obviously they had this, you know, ready to go type thing for several weeks, but now. they didn't use it uh, in the Hague. Uh, They're using it in the information war tri- media well, trial. It, well, it wouldn't have been relevant in a certain sense to Hague. This is uh, mm. this, this is this was kept as a as a response. And the interesting thing about this response is that what they're saying by by this and then getting their lackeys. How many countries was it? Uh, I have a list. United here. States, Germany, Canada, Australia, Netherlands, United Kingdom, Italy, Finland, and Switzerland all suspended funds to UNRWA um, as a result of these spurious allegations by Israel. Put this up because it has the amounts involved. Yeah. Um, USA, uh, 223 million. Germany, oh, 127 million. Canada, 76.8 million. 
Australia, 20 million, 19 million, 12, three, so, you know, 500 million or something like that, half a, bit, half a billion dollars uh, of funding from these states, just because Israel said it. Now, what they're saying, the interesting thing about this is what they're saying is that, um, what they're signaling by this is that, okay, if you're trying to tell us to stop uh, killing Palestinians, drop, dropping bombs on, on Palestinians, um, even though it's not legally binding in any, or anything, and I you know, I wouldn't expect Israel to care what the ICG says, but anyway, the response here is, okay, if you don't want us to bomb them, we'll starve them. So, Yeah, this is what you said in October. This is where we go. Um, so, Because by basically saying, by, by putting this into action and in one way or another, you're releasing this spurious allegation about, you know, Hamas members or October 7th uh, militants, whatever, uh, being involved in UNRWA, they somehow, just for that <laughs> bullshit allegation, get all of these states to cut funding to UNRWA, which means that basically there's a significant reduction in aid to the Palestinians, which means Israel is saying, okay, we'll starve them then. But actually in the ruling as well, uh, yeah. they were required to ensure the safe passage yeah. of humanitarian aid, aid to things. But this is the way around that, right? Because I'm sure the ACJ didn't didn't budget for that that little uh, that, that that detail. It's like, okay, we we technically we would but you know, the, be but okay the, with with sending uh, facilitating humanitarian aid to into Gaza, but what if the people that we'd be handing the aid over to are actually terrorists? Then should we keep on funding? Should we be sending aid to? Would that not be giving aid to terrorists? ICJ. <laughs> the, the allegations are against twelve, twelve staff members. Yeah. So, for perspective, the way the way Gaza actually functions, they talk about Hamas all the time. Hamas government. There isn't really the housing, the food, the medicines, the hospitals. Most of civil life in Gaza is functionally, structurally run by this agency. There are around 13,000 Palestinians working for UNWA in, uh, in Gaza. Well, there were. It's more like 3,000 now because they've either been displaced or killed. Um, 152 officially uh, Palestinian um, UN staffers have been killed by Israel in Gaza today. So 12 members out of 13,000 is, I think it comes to about 0.04% of them. Remember, there, mm. like you said, there are allegations based on interrogations, like tor- torture. So, um, the so well, what does that mean? I mean, is there anything else? No, it, it really is. It the only basically allowed NGO by Israel to operate in Gaza. So, here's the head of the agency saying that um, that's it. They're finished. If, uh, the, yeah, with that, the, the key funding came from the West, and that's it. They're done. Philippe Lazzarini, um, the head of the UN agency, um, our operation on which two million people depend as a lifeline in Gaza is collapsing. I am shocked such decisions are taken based on alleged behavior of, of a few individuals. Um, Palestinians in Gaza do not need this additional collective punishment. And it, it, Israel has always been gunning for this. Um, this is, uh, well, maybe I don't even want to listen to her. She, anyway, I'll just say what it is. An Israeli, an ex-Israeli government official, now she's with some think tank, uh, forget her name, 
she's on tape though. It's going around Twitter today. Um, was calling for explaining strategy at a kind of powwow mm-hmm. that was published. That we need to get, we need to destroy or at least get rid of this UN agency. That's the key to. Have you got it? I have it. Yeah. This is January fourth. Um, so they've been. <clears throat> I've heard others say who are either involved directly or observe goings on in Gaza that this has been a long term goal, goal of the Israeli state. האתגר שלנו במלחמה הוא לחסל את האיום ולא להרתיע אותו, ואנחנו יודעים איך לחסל פעילי טרור, קשה לנו יותר עם רעיון. אונר"א זה המקור של רעיון, שהמראיינת היא יולדת עוד ועוד טרוריסטים בכל מיני שיטות, ואי אפשר יהיה לנצח את המלחמה אם אנחנו לא נשמיד את אונר"א, וההשמדה הזו חייבת להתחיל מיד, זה לא רלוונטי לדבר על היום שאחרי. ביום שעכשיו אנחנו חייבים לפעול לעקירה של האיומים האלה לחלוטין, או שאנחנו נפספס את חלון ההזדמנויות, צוין פה כמה וכמה פעמים כבר עשינו. ובהקשר הזה יש שני מכלולי פעולה שאנחנו יכולים להתקדם היום. האחד זה היחס של מדינת ישראל לאונר"א ולמדינות שתורמות לה, והשני זה היחס לאוכלוסייה הפלסטינית שאונר"א משרתת, לפעמים בצורה סמי לגיטימית. כדי להתמודד עם אונר"א עצמה, בוא נזכור שהיא פועלת כאן, ב- 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 בשטחים שישראל כבשה ב-67, מכוח הבקשה של ישראל שהיא תעשה את זה. זה מה שהכניס אותה לפה. ישראל יכולה עכשיו לבקש ממנה להפסיק. ובאותה הזדמנות לכפור במעמד הפליט שהיא מחלקת מאוד מאוד בנדיבות כי לפלילית יש תבחינים בינלאומיים את התעודות של אונר"א אי אפשר להעביר, צריך לבטל הורתן בחטא, הן צריכות ללכת לפח מי שמגיע לו שילך ויבדוק עם היוניט סייר אם באמת מגיע לו We must destroy them, they can go to hell because this UN agency equals terrorists It's a source of an idea Yeah She uh, says uh, The idea is that more and more terrorists are born in all kinds of methods. It's impossible to win the war if we do not destroy UNRWA. And this destruction must begin immediately. <laughs> This is an aid agency, like a UN aid agency that basically does nothing more than just uh, provide aid to, to people, not just in Palestine, but in different places around the world. Um, well, it, like I said, functionally it has become so, it's so needed in Gaza that it's, it's the largest employer mm. of Palestinians there. Yeah. Because of Israel. Of course, she said that Israel brought UNRWA in in 1967 at their request so they can kick them out. And it's like, yeah, yeah we, you brought them in at your request because you had put, uh, put Gazans in, in a position where they needed international aid. Yeah, and you weren't going to feed them. Yeah. Well, you're preventing, you're blockading the entire territory. Um, so... Yeah, just, I don't know, psychos, psycho nutbags. I mean, you know, a detailed analysis of these people and what they're saying and stuff isn't really necessary. It's self-evidently uh, psycho nutbaggery um, that anybody with any sense can see. I like know. when you have an Israeli minister, whoever she was, politician, saying, you know, this aid agency is a source of uh, t- basically terroristic ideas that are... <laughs> that are being spread in Gaza and we need to destroy this aid agency. You know, while they basically, you know, shunted almost two million people into, you know, maybe at this point it's like a quarter of the territory of Gaza that there were, it was already one of the most crowded places, densely populated places on the planet. And now it's four times as densely populated because they've shunted them all into the very south. Of, I mean, the Israelis are basically now, right now, over the past few number of days, pushing them out of Khan Yunus into Rafah. If you go and look at a map, Rafah is basically the last... The last stop before the Egyptian border, 
So um, Khan Yunus is kind of more central Gaza, south central Gaza. Uh, they're basically, they've declared that a, a kind of no-go area and that people have to get out of Khan Yunus so, um, and, and towards Rafa. And like I said, Rafa is the last stop. So it's reached, It's getting to the point where it's reaching a denouement. Like, you know, I mean, people, people need to think about this. Like, Israel is, has basically at this point made all, all of the rest of Gaza unlivable. And they pushed two million people into at this point probably something something around um, four miles by by six maybe four by six miles uh, two million people into a piece of land four by six miles um, and now they're in the process of cutting off aid to those people or a, a, a major percentage of the aid to them and but even despite that they've destroyed. Or made, or otherwise made uninhabitable, everything above that, you know, in the other seventy-five percent of Gaza, uh, made it unlivable. They're destroying graveyards. They're destroying. They've obviously destroyed most hospitals. They're destroying um, uh, infrastructure, water, sanitation, uh, electricity infrastructure. Um, there's nowhere for those people to go back to, in, in terms of actually being able to live there. I mean, technically they could, but it'd be like a Stone Age kind of living and there'd be there would be a one big refugee camp and it would be for for quite a long time all of them if they were allowed back into the rest of gaza if israel was to, was to go away and stop bombing completely um they would be those, those most, the vast majority of those people would be dependent on aid for for quite a long time it so would t- it would take a year to remove the, the rubble yeah with machinery right. they don't have so and that doesn't that's certainly not doesn't seem to be israel's plan obviously to just destroy it all because the ruse about getting rid of Hamas and, and specifically, you know, destroying the tunnels is—it was obviously is obviously a ruse. Was a ruse from the very very get go. Uh, to co- it was a cover for their their main plan, which was to destroy Gaza and remove the population completely, one way or the other. There's a report today in one of the UK papers, or whatever broadsheets, saying that eighty percent of the tunnels still exist. Um, so the whole idea of destroying the tunnels. Because they've moved all the way down, right? But they have—they're not—they're not destroying tunnels as they go, right? Eighty percent of them still exist. They've only destroyed a small percentage of the, of, the, of the tunnels. Most of the Hamas kind of fighters and resistance and other Palestinian fa- faction resistance uh, is, is are still alive. Um, so that doesn't seem to be the goal. The goal isn't to specifically kill all of Hamas because then that wouldn't be possible anyway. So it was a bullshit idea from the very beginning. Because Hamas is a part of the Palestinian people, and to that extent, um, they're right. But they say Hamas is Gaza. Hamas is is yeah. the Palestinian is, is the is Gazans, and Gazans are Hamas, or Gazans are Palestinian. Of course, they are. Hmm. Um, they all are united in the resistance towards Israeli occupation, going back since you know since the creation of Israel, basically. Um, so that wasn't that wasn't serious. They were never serious about destroying Hamas. They know very well, as, as many people have said, that by killing 25-plus thousand people at this point, they have created multiple more generations of Hamas and Palestinian militants who will hate Israel. They know that very well. They're, they're not stupid, right? Yeah. Um, so they have to go all the way. And, and they're not destroying the tunnels. They're not, not, they're not really interested. In they want, what they have done, the only thing they've really done, is kill as many Palestinians as they think they could get away with civilians and destroy as much infrastructure as they possibly could, and they'll continue to do that. And the obvious point of doing that 
their, their goal in doing that is to make Gaza unlivable. And at the same time, they're pushing all the Palestinians into a smaller and smaller territory. And now they're cutting off food. I mean, how sh- <laughs> do you have to be a, some kind of, a, like, I don't know, a, well, not a rocket science, but do you have to be some kind of a big brain or something to, 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 figure, to figure out what's actually going on there, what, what the obvious goal is there? Like, I mean, it's, they want to destroy the Palestinian people in one way or another. They probably have lots of different plans. Uh, possibilities of, of how that could happen, but I don't think they're planning on killing them with bombs. Uh, so really, the only other way that that can happen is to put them in a position where there's only two possible, two, 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 two options. One is that, well, both of them go together. The first, the first stage is create a humanitarian crisis uh, and a health crisis. Let's say you know, deny food, deny uh, sanitation. Uh, create the conditions for sickness, you know, um, illnesses to spread, and push people into a situation where they're both there's there's illnesses or some kind of you know, um, outbreak of some kind of illness spreading through the population. A lot of people are in serious danger of dying, and also because they're all uh, malnourished and there's no real proper living conditions. And at that point, it's either if they stay there, they're all going to die. Or a lot of them are going to die from either starvation or, or, or sickness. At that point, the pressure is put on the international community to take them somewhere else because they obviously can't stay there. Yeah, so there's nowhere for them to go. There's nowhere for, they can't go further back up. But where are they going to go? Israel's not going to take them. Nobody's ever brought that up. So you create the conditions where a majority or significant majority of of the Palestinians in Gaza are going to die through sickness or starvation, and then you just stand back and go. To the international community say, you're going to allow this to happen? <laughs> and they'll blame, you know. <laughs> you can imagine the Israelis, I mean, certainly I can imagine them saying that it's heartless of the international community to stand, to sit by and watch the people of Gaza starve and, and die from illness and do nothing. It's heartless for yeah. Egypt to yeah. sit there and watch this happening. You know what I mean? That's, Real psycho stuff when you've created that situation and then you blame others for not doing something about it. But that's, obviously that's their plan from the very beginning. Yeah, and the, the Western, com- I just this happened so fast that you, you, you would blink and then miss it. Western countries in the space of a day, at the snap of fingers, all knew what to do, withdraw, withdraw the funding. It, that's, that's, that's just like, and then the next day, it's something else. We've moved on already. That's already accomplished. It, there, mm. was, there was no kind of weeks-long struggle. Well, back and forth in the Western media, kind of shaping public perception to get used to it. They just mm-hmm. did it in one day. The message goes out. Sent an email. They sent an email to the US, Germany, Canada, Australia, but, Netherlands, United Kingdom, Italy, Finland, and Switzerland, and said, "Y'all stop your own uh, funding, please." Yes, please. sir. But but how did that happen? Here's context, right? So this is from 2022. Israel pleaded with Western governments to stop these NGOs, and they told them to take a hike. Is it, the, the Overton window here has shifted so rapidly, so far to the right, so pro-Israel. In 2021, Israel falsely labeled six Palestinian NGOs as terrorist organizations after failing to provide any evidence to back up the claim. In this, in this case, today, last week, there was evidence, just allegations. Oh, sure, yeah, no problem, yeah. Uh, done. Um, nine, EU, nine EU states rejected the argument back then. Um, mm-hmm. 
was so back when people were. This, is, this has obviously been a wish of Israel for a long time. And yeah. now, <laughs> it's... What influence does Israel have over those it's, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, ten countries, um, Western countries? What influence is it, does the Israeli lobby or whoever, or Israel the state or Israel the government, Netanyahu, whoever, what influence does it have, have over them where it can make them basically complicit in creating a humanitarian crisis in Gaza and maybe complicit in the starvation of two million people? When a couple of years ago, like you said, they dismissed allegations and now they don't. I don't know. Did they just turn the screws? They have like a... a, a <clears throat> maybe they just squeeze harder, you know? Because like Israel has always had the balls of these uh, Western countries, European countries in America in its hand. So it just squeezes a bit harder a couple of years later. And it's like, all right, we'll do it. Because, um, you know, the Israelis are all are like ball squeezers, you know? Um is that anti-Semitic? I don't know. Oh. Um, <clears throat> well, the anti-Semitic global conspiracy theory, right? I'm just going to articulate that this is what the anti-Semitic global conspiracy theory is, that certain powerful, influential Jews can pull financial strings and get governments to do things. Hmm. That's, that's the anti-Semitic conspiracy theory. Financial strings, yeah. And others. That's the, been the key one, but yeah. not necessarily. Information. Blackmail strings, too. Blackmail But strings. financial blackmail, same thing, right? That's the anti Semitic conspiracy theory. And yeah. that's kind of like the news. Why is that anti Semitic? Don't know. Don't just don't. don't but like, don't, don't ask. you know, using finances to exert pressure on people, states, whatever, is pretty much as old as human history, right? Um, so why is it why is it really bad to say that that might be happening just because Israel's doing it? Why is it anti-Semitic? Um, yeah. Um, in completely unrelated news, isn't um, it strange that an- the anti-Semitic calling someone an anti-Semite to shut down any criticism of me? So, like, if I I, I hold the, the the cards on anti-Semitism, let's say, and anything anybody says about me, no matter what I do. Uh, no matter how egregious my actions, uh, anybody can just—I can just call anybody who's making a, those accusations against me against me anti-Semitic, and they immediately shut down. It's such a horrible uh, thing to say. No one wants to be have you know be, be in any way implicated in, in, in being an anti-Semite. Um, it's very similar to being accused of being a paedophile. Coincidence. Anyway, I'll just leave that one hanging there. Here's the tweet from um, uh, Ben Giver. Israeli, he's, in Israeli, he's in the Israeli cabinet. He's one of the super far-right Israeli parties. Um, Itamar Ben Giver on the day of the ICJ ruling. The Hague Schmeg. Hague Schmag. Shmag. It didn't translate properly. But the that, Hag that, Shmag. That's what it would be. The, it's the, the the Yiddish cutesy turn of phrase in OU. Does Shmag mean something in Shmiel, Yiddish? Shmiel. No, it's Hey Shmag. He's like, he's, he's, he's. Yeah. It's where they take a word and put Shmiel Spiel in front, you know, that they, uh, we use it in English all the time, you know. Jew Shmoo. Yeah, like that, yeah. Jew Shmoo's. As in whatever. Jewish schmooze. It doesn't, he doesn't care. Yeah. 
of course he doesn't care. Um, yeah, but these people have been planning this this business in Gaza for anybody who thinks that this is just like, oh, October 7th happened, what will we do? Let's make up a plan. Uh, like I've said a few times previously, um, before now, that um, this has been a, a goal of Israel. Talked is really notable Israeli figures have talked about this project, this need to uh, deal with their Palestinian problem definitively for at least 20 years, probably longer, but they've publicly talked about it for 20 years, different uh, luminaries, Israeli luminaries, and talked about it openly. Um, so the idea that they don't have a plan when you've been you know, openly talking, publicly talking about it, you can imagine what's going on in private. They've had a different plans on the table how to deal with this, how to implement this this, this solution to the Palestinian problem uh, for for decades. And this is a, this is it's probably there wasn't really many many different variables in terms of um, of how they could go about it. Um, it was probably always fairly straightforward. They probably always came to the same conclusion, which was, well, we just need to make Gaza unlivable through bombing, and um, we need to push the Palestinians out. All right, has everybody agreed? Yeah, I don't see I don't see another way to go about the final solution than that. That seems to be pretty pretty final in terms of uh, how it would go. So, um, and then they put it into action on October 7th. And, of course, as we've said before, October 7th was, you know, the, you know, very likely a, a, a put-up job, basically, you know. I mean, it's kind of gone away now. People have stopped talking about it as time has passed. But at the time, and for a few weeks after October 7th, there was a lot of talk on social media and people, different people, you know, penning articles on about the evidence that, it looks like there was a stand-down order to facilitate the events of October 7th. And there's a, a significant, you know, su- substantial evidence that Israeli troops themselves killed quite a lot of Israeli civilians. And, of course, we would add in that it's very likely that there was some kind of a kind of black ops, secret team, death squad type uh, element involved as well, involved in, you know, killing Israeli civilians uh, I've said this. I'm having flashbacks. I'm having deja vu's to saying this about saying this. You know, so many times before on different shows and in articles and stuff about how you know people can because we've talked about that before. Obviously, it's about false flags, maybe 9/11, etc., and and you know FBI terror plots and all that kind of stuff. There's massive amounts of evidence that that is a reality. That's part of state policy, uh, particularly Western state policy. But it's a uh, it's it's statecraft, right? And has been for a very long time. And there's Anybody who who has informed themselves about the evidence, you know, official, real, hard evidence from from government inquiries and all that kind of stuff, cannot doubt that the kind of idea of a, of, of a false flag or of um, kind of inflicting a wound on yourself or um, you know um, supporting terrorist organisations that you. You know, claim to be fighting and all that kind of stuff. There's, you know, there's no doubt that that is a part of statecraft. You know, um, so anybody at this point who would react badly or dismiss what I just said about October seventh just doesn't understand. Uh, it hasn't seen, doesn't know the evidence, doesn't know how governments work, 
uh, and have worked for a very long time doesn't know that that is a very standard part of how they go about achieving their goals when necessary. Yeah. So in a sense, they're kind of excluded from the conversation because it's like children, you know, trying to pitch hmm. in their two cents with the adults who know a lot more. Mm-hmm. Like, guys, this doesn't really just carry on. Mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't concern you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, don't worry about it. Yeah, You just carry on and think what you want to think. But we're just working from from reality here. I mean... We're the reality-based community, let's say. Um, do you want to... So, I mean, I, pe- people kind of know what they have. You know, they think of Epstein, the Nat Network, mm. um, so this blackmail... Um, the, hmm. there's, a, there's a lot of surveillance as well hmm. they, it, it's not just like they know they know your dark stuff like this is going to sound too crazy but, but here's some context right so 10 years ago plus <coughs> this happened um, it was officially reported as an accidental gaffe because a microphone was left on. I doubt it. I think it's more like <clears throat> the microphone was targeted and it was meant, it was always listening, always listening. And when it found something it didn't like, it got reported internationally. Headline 2011, Sarkozy and Obama's Netanyahu gaffe broadcast via microphones. The French president at the time described the Israeli prime minister, also at the time, Netanyahu, as a, quote, liar in a private exchange with Obama at last week's G20 summit. I can't stand him. He's a liar, Sarkozy told Obama. The U.S. president responded by saying, you're fed up with him. I have to deal with him every day. Hmm. Now, the, this, the, the claim is that, well, a, a thing was switched on. The so journalist overheard it in a room next door. Uh, yeah. Uh, like they would be so like indiscreet or uncareful mm. I think it's more likely a hidden mic it's always listening the walls have ears kind of thing mm. um, <clears throat> I'm also reminded like also about a decade ago it quietly came out maybe not that far I think it was while Trump was president that Washington DC is there's some huge network of again cameras mics everything everywhere mm. that's separate from the main DC public official police surveillance network, and apparently all of the data goes to Israel. Let me I'll try and find that. Um, Washington DT Israelis my network. No, I'm not going to be able to. It's bringing up actual spy networks, but. I remember there was something specific about like a physical network, like mics on the street and stuff like that. Anyway, so <clears throat> I suppose what I'm getting at is the, the kind of, I'm not trying to give a pass to the Western governments that every time Israel says jump, they just say how high. You know, th- there is a, it takes two to tango and there's a, a willing recipient mm. in Israel's crimes. Of course there are. Americans have shipped all the bombs that have killed all those Palestinians. Mm-hmm. They're not like, they don't get a pass because Israel made us do it. You know, mm. hang on. no, you you did it. You know, it's just that the the sheer, it's possible that it, there's so much, not just dirt, but constant monitoring. Like, 
over uh, uh, it was announced today that someone like something someone's going to put up like a hundred million dollars to um, run people against AOC in New York. Surely she's been a boon for the the left, the establishment, the legacy. Well, no, because of where she stands on Israel, the lobby is going to work to get her out and replace with someone else. Mm-hmm. Like it's so strict, certainly in the United States, maybe the, also the UK, but really. Where isn't in the Anglosphere, in the Western world? Mm-hmm. If you're a politician that's stridently, not even against Israel, that's just stridently pointing out the obvious mm-hmm. when it comes to this issue, mm-hmm. you're not going to stay in power long. You'll be gone. And you won't be reelected. Or you won't get elected at all, in Jeremy Corbyn's case. Mm-hmm. I mean, the campaign against him was insane. Mm-hmm. And there was no specific issue with Israel going on. But they knew his background, mm-hmm. and that was enough. Mm-hmm. He's, he supported the Palestinians a lot in the 80s and 90s. He cannot be prime minister. Mm-hmm. Again, though, it's mutual because the British establishment in its own right also agreed that he was public enemy number one. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the interest met. It's not exclusively uh, an outside network that you know it blame, you know. Mm-hmm. Which is where, you know, obviously it's murky. We're, we're, like you say, we're plumbing yeah. the depths here. Of the well, the Israelis, are, the Israelis are, a, are a chosen people, you know. Yeah, and, if, and there are a few other people who would like to also believe they are. They're chosen. <laughs> yeah. American exceptionalists. They're an anomaly. Uh, Over and above that. Said. They're an anomaly in, the, in, the, in, the, in terms of the peoples of the world, at least in the... In the modern era, they're, they're definitely an anomaly in terms of how they view the world, how they view themselves, and how they view themselves in relation to the world. Uh, there's not really many, I don't think there's any other country in the world, or state, or group of people in the world who view themselves in, in that way. And they view themselves as victims, you know. They're not the chosen people, they're the slighted people. They're the victimized people. Uh, and they're out for revenge, basically. Um, that's, that's a mentality, it's just a, an aberrant, kind of messed up perspective that kind of has been has seeded has been seeded amongst the, amongst the population. Successive uh, generations of Israelis have been brought up, and Jews have been brought up with that with that belief. You know, and um, it's mad because it's, they're, it's just they're so materially successful. Yeah, but that's part of it, right? That's to, 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 I mean, they have to, they have to kind of you know they're almost like um, like the like the Masons in a certain sense, like a Masonic kind of in the way that they you know secret handshakes and. Helping each other out, and you know, keep it within the keep it within the family type thing. You know, uh, they're similar in that way. They're like a, a secret group. You know, um, although they're obviously open, they're quite open about it. But they're not really open about that aspect of it because it would tend to set them apart from the rest of humanity or people. You know, I mean, other countries. You know, it would set them apart as being not quite conspecific. You know, like you're not you don't really see yourselves as part of. <laughs> Of of the rest of humanity, you know. I mean, they do have you know goyim. I mean, it's in, is really religious or ju- ju- Judaic kind of speech is, is this idea of of you know the Jews and the goyim being the rest of humanity. So they do set set themselves apart, you know, um, at least from, in the religious perspective. But that filters down to more, maybe a slightly more watered down version amongst the more secular Jews. But they still have that idea, and it's quite appealing because it makes you again. It's transformed into being special, right? Being special, separate be, is being is, is to be special. To be separate is to be special. Um, and yeah, and they go about 
you know, when you have this victim mentality and that's never again and it might happen again and these people are against us, look what they did to us in the past, they'll do it again at any time. These goyim can't basically help themselves. Uh, it comes around every, every, one, every, every, every few generations or whatever it comes around where they just want to just mindlessly get the Jews. So we need to always be on alert, you know, and we are separate for that reason. You can see how if you believe that, you would uh, see yourself as, as, a, as a separate group who are under threat all the time, and then you did have to, you do have to kind of um, collaborate with with your kind, let's say, and, uh, you know, your in group uh, to the exclusion of others, and, and and that's why it's like it's pretty clear that most uh, Jews who are active uh, activist Jews, let's say, um, like Ben Shapiro and people like that, and lots of others, <coughs> um, it's pretty clear that they when it comes down to it, regardless of what country they live in, their first priority is Israel. Because their first priority, their first priority being to Israel means it's really the same as their first priority is to themselves. You know? Because they have this belief that it happened before, the Goyim will periodically try to kill us, um, and we have this homeland and we need to keep ourselves separate and protected and together, um, and Israel is the center point for that. At least it's a place where we can go uh, and live and have us our own and a protected space and we're armed to the teeth and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and if these other people, ultimately these going in America, everywhere in Congress, all of the known Jewish people are all potential threats, we need to, we can't just sit about and wait and hope that they won't do it again. We have to take action to make sure that it doesn't happen again. And how are we going to do that? Well, we've got to get inside there their systems and make sure that we direct their systems in a way that is safe for the Jews to make sure that it never happens again. I mean, that, that sounds anti-Semitic because this is, this is what's shoved down our throat by the Western media all the time. Mm. The whole Holocaust and mm. how Jews have to be anti-Semitism on the rise. What do they mean by anti-Semitism is on the rise? Why, why are they so afraid of that? Because like, the BBC will report that. But the implication is that the, you know, no, Goyim are going in the direction of doing it again against the Jews. Mm-hmm. So even the BBC believes that, that that part of it, right? Or, or presumably believes it, or, or I think most people do at least. It's, it's implied, but why else would you describe yeah, there's course. been a massive rise in right. anti-Semitism, dot, 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 Where does that I, go? Right. It's, it's about to go Hitler. So, so the BBC believes it on beh- and believes it on behalf of the Jews. Certainly the, the, the Jews believe it, have done for a long time. So imagine... If you really believe that, um, what you would do over many generations, what what kind of strategy or uh, plan would you come up with to to make sure it doesn't happen again? If you think it's such a such a prescient uh, or such a pressing pressing need and uh, and danger at any moment, at any time, in any one generation, it can happen. Surely, if you took it really seriously, you would you would do something to make sure to try and make sure it doesn't happen again, right? You can't just trust because look at the way the way they present it; it just happens. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's not like there's specific conditions arise where you could say the the, the Jews could look at it and say, look at it historically and say, well, look, it only ever happened when we did this or when we did that. No, it's like it's presented as it's just mindless. It's, it's completely indigenous or endogenous it, to them. It's beamed into their it's heads. Nothing to do with us. Yeah, it just comes up, it rises up within them every few generations, and they want to kill the Jews. Yeah. And you ask them, why are you going to kill the Jews? And they say, I don't know. I just need to kill the Jews. 
Um, that that is conveyed. That's don't, what they but don't cut this out, right? What I just said, right? <laughs> yeah. Don't take a snip of that and put it on, 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 on YouTube, right? I always provide the context of what I'm saying here. Yeah. Uh, that's the way it's presented. I mean, we're, we're being... Everybody else, non-Jews are being presented with that idea all the time. Yeah. You know, in one way or another, you're being presented with the idea that you, a non-Jew, could at any moment participate in another Holocaust. And, you know, it's very, it's, it's, it's weird again, like I mentioned pedophilia before, uh, the anti-Semitism claim with pedophilia, but also that idea of uh, non-Jews just being at any moment overtaken by this bloodlust to kill Jews or something is similar to what they accuse white people of uh, as, uh, as far as uh, minorities or, or blacks, right? Mm-hmm. That you just have this... Um, well, it's probably under the same same uh, umbrella, right? It's unconscious racism, right? It's the same thing. What I'm talking there about the claim about you know non-Jews periodically wanting to kill Jews uh, is the same as unconscious racism that's, that that whites white people are accused of against blacks or other minorities, non non whites. That they that you don't even know it. It's always there. You're born with it. Yeah, and you don't even know yeah. it. You're not even aware of it. It has to be pointed out to you yeah. through... Right. So, um, now, whether training. or not that's true, or, you know, that claim is being made all the time, both by Jews and by, you know, minority groups and African-Americans, etc. But in the case of Jews, if you really believe that's the case, and they seem to really believe that that's the case, that's what whites tend to do. Like, I'll, I'll ask again, what strategy would you, would you come up with over many years, you know, multiple generations of... Jewish Israeli minds in, in, in positions of power as to how to prevent this, how to, how to stop the worst from happening. It seems natural to me that you would come up with an idea that you really need to get inside that, the minds of the, get inside their minds, but in, more importantly, get inside their, uh, their political systems and to direct them in a way that makes sure that anti-Semitism never gets beyond a certain threshold. And once you open that door, you're into everything, right? You're into Israeli lobby. Walter Mearsheimer's book is really lobby, really strong. Is really lobby in the UK and European countries, you know? Uh, yeah, Mossad, intelligence agencies, spying, spy rings, blackmail, all that kind of stuff. Everything will be Election allowed. Election influencing. Uh, well, everything, yeah. Everything will be allowed in the interest of making sure that this never happens War again. and peace decisions. Yeah. Mass migration decisions. So, it's kind of strange that, that just to say that, to... to, to to suggest that that's what's happening, that's what the Mossad and the Israeli government, that's their perspective. To say that is some kind of anti-Semitic canard is weird because it's a logical deduction from what the Jews and the Israelis themselves accuse non-Jews of, 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 of doing and being, which is fundamentally or, or latently anti-Semitic, having a latent or uh, hatred of Jews, unconscious. And... Nobody disagrees with that, because that's what they really say, that's what the BBC says, in one way or another. So all I'm saying is, so if you believe that, what would the Jews do? What would you do if you believed that you were under that kind of threat from almost the rest of the world? And if you had the means to do it, how would you make sure that you protected yourself against that kind of unconscious uh, hatred that could well up? Well, if, you, if it was existential, and you had the a power, and you'd, you know, or you had the influence, or you'd 
you try to develop the influence and de- develop the power to make sure that those other non-Jews, basically, um, were never in a position to, to do it again. But you'd need to really put, have a lot of, you know, you'd have to have, to have a lot of control over them, you know. It's, it's a shitty strategy, though, because it, it's self-perpetuating. It, it just creates the situation where the next pogrom comes along. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, self-perpetuating. I mean, the ADL, like, it, <laughs> um, reports a couple of weeks ago, uh, anti-Semitism <clears throat> is up 360%. Well, no shit. I mean, obviously people are linking it to Israel, but it's more than just that. I mean, <laughs> it, it's... It's it's so like it's such an insane strategy. I mean, if you want to if you want to retain your in group privileges, yet hide among the people you consider the other, what's with constantly drawing attention to yourself while trying to constantly police their reactions mm-hmm. and occasionally taser them, mm-hmm. like? You 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 can only taser a dog so if you really see them as animals, right? You mm-hmm. can only taser them so much before they're gonna, yeah, inevitably come back. Like it's happened so often before. Well, they put themselves in a bind by right. putting themselves in the middle of uh, creating the state of Israel on on Arab land and kicking the Arabs off it and creating a perennial, perpetual problem where those Arabs that are kicked off and the Arab Arab countries around those those people they kicked out of their land. And spread them around in, in, in close proximity and as a diaspora in, in neighboring countries and within your own country that you created in 1948. Uh, well, you're, you're always going to be in a position where you're going to be, you know, uh, fighting those people that you kind of dispossessed, that you committed a, a crime against. They're going to want retribution. And if you don't sort it out and come to some agreement, then you're going to have, always have a, a threat to you. Uh, and then you're going to periodically respond to that threat. And if you're in a position of, of sufficient power and, and dominance, you're going to look like Israel has looked over the past few months, which is that you're going to just be, it's going to be shooting fish in a barrel type thing. It's just going to be wholesale slaughter. And then all the goyim will be, not all of them, but a lot of them will be anti-Semitic, i.e. they'll criticize Israel. Can- yeah, that's exactly what it is. Can you put that back, Scotty? So what does this involve? Is this like, you know, it's physical it's attacks it's against Jews? They, they break it down into four bullet points. Um, 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 there you go. Actually, what we're talking about here are 56 incidents of, it's, I think this is just in the United States. Up 360%, okay. 56 incidents of physical assault, 500... So that's actual people who legitimately got an anti-Semitism. So that's a 5 out of 5, you know, full-on, in-your-face anti-Semitism. They got an anti-Semitism. <laughs> they got... That's sorry, a, yeah, they got... That's a, a good way to describe it. I like that. Um, 554 incidents of vandalism. Okay, but hang on a second... The one, the the wave, for example, the wave of um, media outrage in Paris in back in October when this kicked off. Remember when there were stars of David being um, spray painted on walls in Jewish, predominantly Jewish-lived neighborhoods in Paris. Turns out that was a, a Zionist 
organization that did that deliberately and when caught they mm. said well we were just doing it you know to be proud of our country but that's not how the press reported it at the time they reported it as anti-semitic attacks mm-hmm. and vandalism okay and whatever um and they, but the vast majority 1347 incidents of verbal or written harassment hmm. and then the last one is just a joke 1,307 rallies, i.e. the protests, for Palestinians. There weren't torch-burning, you know, uh, Charlottesville right-wing, you know, neo-Nazi rallies screaming, Jews will not replace us. That's rallies like... this, when they use the term rallies, it's meant to, it's meant to evoke Nuremberg what? rallies. It's who? the fucking Palestinian protest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Who... What's that word for people who are super sensitive to any criticism on anything they don't like? Touchy. They rage, rage at it, you know? You can't criticize them. You can't point out what they've done wrong. You can't... Um, Narcissistic. Snowflake, isn't it? Oh. Uh, well, it's the ultimate identity group. Those are microaggressions. This is identity politics like identity geopolitics those are all those would all be if they if, if, if they were if most of those incidents of anti-Semitism um, were, were being reported by let's say minority groups or something they would be described as micro a lot of them would be described as microaggressions right I felt I felt I felt offended by, 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 by what you said you know um, but and the only way it's not described as that and dismissed as that only reason is because all of them carry with them the implication that any more of this, and there's going to be another Holocaust. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And it's, it's similar with Trump. Trump, orange man, bad. Why? Well, dot, 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 the part they left out always is, well, any moment now he can build concentration camps and put his enemies in, you mm. know. It's, it's, it's similar. It's, it's basically, did you see, you see this? This kind of sums it up. I, I posted this on... Uh, Post this on Twitter during the week. Um, kind of summed it up for me. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. And actually, that doesn't mean... It. Religious Jews would be like, yeah, we're trying to bring about <laughs> our prophecy, indeed. But they're the ones who would be the victims of their own... Actions and like I said, like there's so much going for them. Just call it off, guys. You've got everything going for you. You know, put in a phone call. Governments just do whatever. But the, you know, yesterday was International Holocaust Remembrance Day to mm. cap off the ironies of the situation where obviously what's going on in Gaza. Um, there's been no let-up as well, whatsoever. Um, everyone saw the footage last week of the the family waving the white flag. Um, mm-hmm. The man who was interviewed by British ITV moments later when the camera man and the journalist, I presume, walked away was was shot dead. So that's not that's they saw. Of, I'm I'm going to. It's not a leap to presume that they saw that he was being interviewed mm-hmm. 
and it, that had no effect on their optics, you know, on their concern about what anyone else thinks. They mm-hmm. executed him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but Israel's been doing that for a long time. I, uh, it's not new. It's weird. It's, it's, it's strange. Like, obviously, there's some people, like I said in previous shows, that there's a bunch of people on, on social media who are just like new to this. You just crawled out of some rock, you know. Like, I don't know what they were doing. They were living the American dream or something like that for the past 20 years and then only woke up uh, recently because of, I don't know, COVID or whatever it is, something that disturbed their reality. And they're like, what's going on? Huh? Oh, that's bad. And and they have these hot takes and stuff and they just have no uh, no history, uh, no understanding of the history of the whole thing. So they just have dodgy takes. You need to understand history. And I'm not talking about just about the past 20 years, but you need to ideally understand history going back a, long, a lot further than that. Um to get to at least have a better ability to assess any any given situation because things don't change, you know. Um. Okay, let's move on. I mean, it's related, but um, there's lots of other news to get through. Um, so, what we've seen is Israel will just carry on, but there is um, a force of some type that's, you know, it's affecting them for sure. Um, this is from today. All week long, there have been a few reports from various self-styled resistance groups in mm. Iraq, Syria, and Yemen. Um, this is a report today in Al-Mayadeen. Drone strikes Israeli naval, naval facility in Haifa Bay. I think I saw others. And the first one that we saw was a few weeks, uh, two weeks ago now, where it was claimed. And I later saw a photo but no footage, because the Israelis, like the Ukrainians, will keep a tight lid on that, mm-hmm. of a cruise missile hitting a port facility also in Haifa. So um, just scroll down. Where was this fire from allegedly? Um, okay. This, uh, doesn't say. A drone from somewhere, a mystery drone. But this has been picking up. There are... There are, there are, they are showing they the resistance, pro-Palestinian, Muslim militias slash. It's 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 super. It's they're playing the Israelis' game with them because you remember, of course, Syria was all like, well, they're moderate rebels, moderate terrorists, or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, the Iraq, Iran, Yemen, and Hezbollah, of course, are playing a kind of similar shadow game, where something hits. Maybe not quite clear where from, and it's not from a state military. So Israel could just 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 calm yourselves, but it's come from one of those countries. Um, the other news uh, pertinent to this: the Houthis hitting a British tanker. Mm. Um, so many ironies in this. I just <laughs> the tanker was carrying Russian oil, repackaged in India. Presumably for, I'm not sure presumably where it was going. I'm not, um, I heard that it was going to the United States. Mm-hmm. But the Houthis apparently know they must have a, a quite exact knowledge, even though it was flagged under some other country. They knew it was a British interest, mm-hmm. this tanker. I'm um, not sure what they hit them with, but it caused a fire. Rumors that it sunk, it didn't. The fire was actually put out. Um, By the next day, it uh, was put out by an Indian naval vessel, vessel which came to its rescue. Um, there's more photos online. I've seen some grainy footage, too, of it burning. That's 
but that, I doubt that's taken by the Houthis. Um, maybe it was a the Indian vessel that came to rescue. Um, other movements on things, you know that the Iraqis want, they said, all foreign troops to leave, but mm-hmm. the message is really for <coughs> American troops to leave Iraq. Mm-hmm. Uh, the U.S. has officially responded, um, yeah, let's talk about it. So they're not just dismissing it out of hand. Uh, there are other rumors that American troops will be doing a full drawdown from Syria, like getting out of there. Uh, there's, there's clearly a struggle going on in, or at least within the establishment, if not within the Pentagon itself, about what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine this is also with one eye on the U.S. elections. Maybe they want to do say the right things, but doing them will be different. We'll see. It's 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 clearly like a hot topic in the United States. I'm I don't think we can. I, I've wondered for a few weeks now, is there a risk of overstating what the Houthis or even, even Iran or Hezbollah can really do as any kind of a, a countermeasure? But I, I think now, like, th- this development a few days ago, um, I, did I hear it correctly? The Biden White House has sent Jake Sullivan to China to plead with Beijing, to plead with Iran, to plead with the Houthis to stop targeting ships in the Red Sea. Mm -hmm. I mean, they've done eight, supposedly eight waves of cruise missile strikes against targets in Yemen. Mm -hmm. And apparently it's not working if this has to happen. Um, I don't know. Maybe this was, I think this, this was an American press release. So this wasn't like a rumor; it's unsubstantiated. Um, does that not go up? The last one, yeah. Um, uh, scroll down. I think he Bertrand is um, quoting. Yeah, he's quoting it from FT. Click the one on the right. The the article is. Yeah, U.S. urges China to help curb Red Sea attacks by Iran backed Houthis. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't need to do that if they had utter confidence in their Aegis destroyers and Tomahawk cruise missiles. Mm-hmm. Diplomatic pressure on Beijing. Beijing, who you, you know, kind of, <laughs> this time last year, they, they were doing the whole balloon gate mm-hmm. and saber rattling against China. And now it's like, uh, China, do the responsible thing, will you? Tell Iran to tell the Houthis to stop doing that. Like, we're in a new world here where the Houthis are having an effect. Um, I, I didn't get it in time for the show, but um, there was an Israeli news report with subs translated. It's gone, I've, I've seen it a few times now, um, where something like 70% of cargo is not reaching Israel. Yeah. And it's worse in the southern port. They have a port, the Eilat, which is the, the Israeli port. Uh, on the mm. Red Sea, it's like dead. Yeah, but they're... Um, and it's even affecting their med ports. Yeah, but it's... Yeah, exactly. That's why there's they're talk about them expand, expanding the, you know, the Houthis or whoever, expanding the the attempted blockade in Israel to the Persian Gulf and to the, and to the med, although it makes it more difficult, obviously. But um, 
because the Israelis are just shipping stuff over over land, you know, from um, from the Persian Gulf, you know. Uh, they've they've diverted. They're diverting <coughs> shipments, you know. Um, they're taking them off in in. Uh, Probably in in the UAE or Saudi or whatever, or maybe not Saudi Arabia, but uh, um, or maybe Qatar. I don't know exactly where, but it's basically going across. A lot of their stuff's going across land now, um, from uh, maybe Kuwait. I don't hear much about Kuwait, but anyway, Kuwait and through through probably through Saudi Arabia, obviously, and then Jordan and then Israel that way. Uh, land transport, you know. There's another incident last week where Pentagon press release describes how the Houthis fired three anti-ship ballistic missiles um, toward the U.S.-owned MV Maersk, Maersk Detroit transiting the Gulf of Aden. One missile impacted the sea, and the two other missiles were successfully engaged and shot down by the USS Gravely or Gravely. Interesting name. No reported injuries or damage to the ship. Okay, good. So that sounds like it's working. You know, and the ship, you presume, carried on its way. No, it didn't. The part they left out in the press, in the press release, was the, the ship was like, we're not taking our chances. And it turned around and went around Africa anyway. It had no confidence in the British-American mm-hmm. ability to give it safe passage to the Red Sea. Mm. Once it saw that, once it saw a missile hit, like, to starboard, it was like, we're out of here. Mm. Um, so it's... The ICJ won't be able to rein in, but um, there are real-world effects happening for consequences mm-hmm. of what Israel is doing. And all it takes is a tiny, relatively tiny group. Like, the Houthis control, like, a fifth of Yemen, mm-hmm. the part that matters, I suppose, the, Western, the most Western. populated parts in the West. Yeah, bonkers. Um, what did you What did you think of Elon Musk's? Are you back to the Jews again? Well, uh, uh, you gotta you gotta like marvel at the again the chutzpah. There's no kind of attempt to. I don't know, be careful with how you do this or something. Who organized the trip? Ben Shapiro. No. <clears throat> here it is here. <clears throat> Entrepreneur Elon Musk joins Chabad Rabbi Chabad, oh, people have been telling me it should be pronounced, Menachem Margolin, who chairs the European Jewish Association. Does he have any tunnels under his Chabad Center? That is the same place. That logo you see, see, look at the account name, Chabad Lubavitch HQ. Yeah, but he's a European one. It, he may be, but it's all, it, it, <laughs> this is the organization that the building you see as their icon, that's that's where it took place. Mm. Yeah, well, oh, yeah. But I was, that's, I'm wondering that's, if this, that's a Jew tunnel place. <laughs> I was wondering if Rabbi Menachem Margolin, who is the European Jewish Association chair, Wherever he hangs out, if he's got tunnels under his, I'm assuming they have a, Europe, a building in Europe, right, where he lives, right, and, uh, and or not lives, but where he organizes this, the Chabad Lubavitch or Chabad Lubavitch 
you know, meets, let's say. And I wonder if they, I'm just wondering if they have tunnels as well. Maybe Sean should check under the the European Jewish Association's headquarters, just to see. But yeah, so he, he organized it, is that what you're saying? The That organization organized it, and right. they have him there to meet him and Benicide Shapiro. So um, the one whose headquarters, the organization whose headquarters in, in, in New York was recently discovered to have tunnels underneath it with um, chi- chi- children's mattresses and strollers, etc. Organi- Elon Musk has t- teamed up with them to go to Auschwitz and bend the knee. That is, I mean, how else can you interpret that? And and I, see, but it's an what? example of... It's an example of what we were talking about earlier on. Like, if you're part of Judaism, if you're if you're a Jew, maybe you don't have to be part of Judaism. You don't have to be religious Jew. You can be a, a secular Jew, a cultural Jew. You identify like, it as like part of it's identity politics. If I identify yeah. as as a Jew, yeah, God sad, for example, as a cultural Jew, whatever that means. Um, so, um. It's like we were saying earlier on, if you're Jewish and you subscribe, which I think most of them do, to this idea that they are under any, a, poten- a potential threat at any time of Holocaust 2.0 or something, um, and you've been aware of that and you and your forefathers, you know, your forefathers have been aware of that for a long time and you've built up this system in a certain sense where you need to keep track of all of the goy... You know, because they may do another Holocaust, right? So um, that's what you believe. I'm not saying that's true. I'm saying that's what, if you believe that, then you would have to have that kind of influence or try to achieve that kind of influence and control over major players in non-Jewish society in order to make sure it never happens again. It never again, never happens again. So... That's an example. Elon Musk is an example. Obviously, Elon Musk, I don't think he's a stupid person. The stuff he's, he's talked about, anti-Semitism and all the different scandals on, that he's had on scandals, quote-unquote, on, on Twitter when he said different things that appear apparently were anti-Semitic and stuff. I mean, and all the things he said about free speech and all that kind of stuff. The guy obviously isn't stupid. He, he can think. But when you see him in this position where he is, you know, going and basically tipping his hat and paying homage and... Um, it suggests that someone was able to talk to him and explain to him in the right terms why this was important and necessary, not just important, but necessary for him to do in a way that made him accept that he really should do it, despite the fact that he may not necessarily agree with it or, or, you know, he may not otherwise have done it of his own volition, but he was made to understand that this was extremely important. And I'm pretty sure it wasn't just a, a good argument. I'm pretty sure it came with... Uh, I'm, well, I'm sure it was a good argument, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't just uh, do it because it's the right thing to do. It was more like do it because it's the right thing to do and it's the right thing to do for your businesses and for, for Twitter in terms of you know advertisers and financing and all sorts of other... to avoid all sorts of other potential problems that could come up uh, with any of your businesses... But the whole thing <clears throat> screams, like, if you don't do this... You're gone, yeah. You're in trouble. That's what's conveyed here. And who who cannot 
understand that. Even if they go, oh gosh, yeah, and they're afraid to kind of articulate in the privacy of their own mind what the implications are. It's 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 conveyed to everyone. He's now done this twice mm-hmm. since the, since October seventh mm-hmm. went to Israel since nine eleven times a thousand. Yeah. And now this, and in between, in between, he had the thing with. It, it, the two things that he cannot he cannot have you know uh, firewall them in his mind completely he goes once he comes back then he has a spat indirectly with the ADL because it, it all begins with them and encouraging advertisers to flee mm-hmm. from X and he's at this forum in New York organized by the New York Times and he tells the, one of the most powerful Jews in the United States of America the owner of Disney Corp to go f yourself, hmm. because what you're threatening here is blackmail. He called it out, so he's crystal clear on that. And then in between, he's got two trips: hmm. one to Auschwitz, one to Israel. And there's no way. I'm thinking there's no way he can't be like the, the, the his saving grace might be that he's kind of naive in a, but in in a way that he's acting it. Did, did you see, like, there's a clip of him following the visit. They have a sit-down, uh, and Ben Shapiro basically interviews him in front mm. of an audience mm. of the European Jews Association. Yeah, watch it, but, yeah, all of it, but... Um, and he's basically... What he, do you want to listen to it? He's basically like, right. well, no, 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 I have a clip. It's just mm. a minute. He He can't not... I'm sure he understands pretty well. People are bashing him up one way and the other for, you know, bending the knee, but like, what else is he supposed to do? So the best he can do is this, make light of it. Uh, yeah, I grew up around a lot of Jewish people. I went to Hebrew preschool, Rachel Spiro in South Africa. Um, I, my name is very Jewish. <laughs> oh, for, I, I will tell you that for the past 10 years, people have assumed in my community that you were Jewish until I informed them otherwise. Yeah. Elon yeah. is a pretty Jewish name. He's super Jewish. Yeah. Um, and then um, I w- went to Israel when I was 13. You know, I mean, you know, visited Masada. <laughs> I'm certainly checking the boxes on a lot of things. Um, hmm. And, um, Check the boxes. Like you said, most of my friends are Jewish. just worked out that way. So, um, I'm embarrassing. Sometimes I, 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 yeah, I guess maybe I forget. Maybe, am I Jewish? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm Jewish. Aspirationally <laughs> <laughs> Jewish. Mm, yeah. That's definitely saying all the right things, and it's quite embarrassing. Um, yeah. But, you know, what are you going to do? I mean, that says to me that people put, people made it clear, maybe not necessarily Ben Shapiro, but someone made it clear to him uh, that, you know, <laughs> you better get with a program, or, or there, is, there are ways and means to. To, um, I'm, yeah, and I'm pretty sure this is going to be gradually, at least, or it already is taking effect, a clampdown on Twitter. He's kind of, he's been unlucky. He, he obviously never approached it with this in mind, you know, at all, Israel. And, but Israel became an issue soon after. He's like busting it wide open for free speech. And he's like digging in his heels, you know, Go f yourselves to the advertisers. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the people and the rest of that speech that at the New York at the New York Times um, forum was like, you know, well, fine, don't come back. The the people will, you know, um, box populate box day. They'll judge. They'll decide. Let them figure it out. Kind of attitude, you know. Mm-hmm. But now that's being reined in, and it probably is going to be back to at the at, at best free speech light because this is a topic that you just everyone sooner or later figures this out. This is kind of like the ceiling, the glass ceiling, mm-hmm. on where you can go with stuff. It's this that's why we generally don't want to talk about it at all um, because. Yeah, you can do it, but that's the end of you. At least in 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 whatever format you're you're, you're trying to. And he's got a big format. He's bought a huge, mm-hmm. but a huge investment for free speech. He has, will he ever even see the returns on it? Probably not. You know, is it a business venture? I don't know. It looks like a sunk cost to me, um, unless he can convince enough people to subscribe to pay in basically as a donation. To see the value for what it is for for having a mm-hmm. a public town hall forum that's genuinely open, but it's not going to work. Not not in not in the long term. I think they're going to have they're going to in stages bring it to heel, and it's going to it's not it's not even it's, it's not even going to be Israel or Zion as connected issues. Like the European Union is breathing down his neck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, threatening obviously. to rumble, just yeah. just black it, black it out. Yeah, yeah, you just from, yeah, just not because of yeah, not being pro-Israel enough, but rather uh, not being pro-censorship of speech enough. Basically, being to allowing people to say things that aren't um, aren't approved. Basically, you know. <clears throat> so yeah. It's 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 crazy. It's there's a lot of anti-Semitisms in in, in what you just said, you know. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> are you going to sanction me? I might, yeah. Um, maybe, yeah. Well, you know, you get to the point where on certain topics you can't say anything, you know. I mean, it's it's crazy, and we can't actually speak, uh, can't have an opinion on something um, for fear of uh, being censored or something, uh, or being I don't know, condemned as something or other. But it's the whole thing's a joke, really. It's just a bad joke. Um, but that's what they're doing. That's what they do. That's what they want to do. And let them, let them, let them go ahead. Do your worst. I have already won. <laughs> um, so yeah, but in in talking speaking of propaganda, um, <laughs> the Ukraine thing is is kind of funny. The ramped up the Ukraine thing this this past week, particularly in the UK. The UK is uh, obviously joined at the hip as a as a you know British government and the American government are you know on a holy and a holy alliance. Uh, and this week they told um, British public. That uh, well, this is part of it, but this one said this one stuck out for me. It was uh, in case you missed it. Apparently, the West is going to go to war <clears throat> over the past week. Um, we've been told that the West is going to go to war with Russia. 
Unless, of course, we do everything possible to, I don't know, make Ukraine win, force Ukraine to win somehow, even though that's not going to happen. But the interesting uh, subheading there was Europe must rearm at once to prevail over dictators who threaten humanity. Obviously, they're talking about uh, China and Russia. So not it's not that China and Russia is China and Russia are threatening Western and particularly U.S. hegemony. They're actually threatening all of humanity now, which is pretty much everybody. Last time I checked the definition of humanity, that's pretty much all the people on the planet, including people in China and uh, Russia, uh, which is significant percentage together. It's a significant percentage of the actual global population. Uh, which is, you know, so I don't know how people call themselves journalists and get away with writing that kind of shit because not only is it propaganda and bullshit propaganda at that, but it just doesn't make any sense either. Um, you know, uh, this <laughs> Telegraph journalist is deciding that China and Russia are threatening or are, are, are a dire threat to the existence of people in China and Russia, as not as well as the rest of the world. Yeah, things have got pretty bad. Uh, but anyway, the Brits are to- the Brits have been told that um, this week um, that they're they're going to going to what was it? Six years? I don't even have it anymore. Um, in less than six years, they would be at war. And that uh, let me look it up here. Uh, what was it? Uh, Conscription. Um, <laughs> yeah, so cons- this is a former British. Um, the head, of, the head of the British military, Sanders. <laughs> it's not boys. Fresh current, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, whole UK must prepare for con- prepare for conscription within six years, unless Putin is defeated. Uh, So then following up, ABC, Britain says it has no plans for conscription, which is nice, after Top General says the UK may need a citizen army. And then Downing Street also rules out conscription after a military chief's call for citizen army. So this was apparently just some, you know, this uh, military chief guy um, just talking off the cuff, but didn't maybe uh, say that this wasn't official policy. Um, I don't think it's off the cuff. Army chief says people of UK are pre-war generation who must be ready to fight Russia. The Minister of Defence clarifies it has no, par- no plans for conscription after General Sir Patrick Sanders says the UK should take steps to place society on a war footing. Because, <laughs> again, um, explain. This is goes back to our, we talked about this last week, when they say uh, Ukraine must win or everything goes to shit. The whole world will collapse if Ukraine doesn't win. Mm. Uh, Russia, and then the best you can get from it is Russia is going to immediately invade Poland and all the Baltics, and then within a few days it'll have done that, uh, and then it'll be in France. France, historically, meh, <laughs> you know, not very good, collapse, uh, despite the farmers, and then uh, it'll be on the boat saying... Straight off the coast of France, um, straight over the land on uh, Ellis Island, maybe would be appropriate, and um, and then from there just invade the US, and this is within a few years, yeah. Uh, well, it'll probably take a few weeks for the Russians to do that, which is why um, the Brits think that we need to get us an army going and um, <clears throat> be ready to fight the Russians because we're going to war with them in six years. 
that's that's the narrative, I suppose. I don't know what. Obviously, that's bullshit. So I don't know what the real. Uh, well, I can I can imagine what the real reason is as to why they're putting that out. It's just to kind of like they're getting desperate and they're, they've run out of ideas as to how to g up public opinion and political opinion or whatever to keep supporting Ukraine with money and weapons. So they decided that, well, let's just scare people. Let's tell them. I mean, we've intimated this before <coughs> often in terms of Putin's dictator. Putin wants to recreate the Soviet Union, but I don't think that was explicit enough. You know, we've said that over and over again, but I don't think it was explicit enough. We've even said, intimated that he might invade or he would invade Europe or, or, or take another country in Europe, whatever. But I don't think, at least from the British perspective, I don't think that it's clear enough. It's not, it's not close enough to home for the average British, and per- British person. So let's just go straight out and tell them that we're going to be at war with Russia. The UK is going to be at war with Russia within six years and we need to uh, form a citizen army and all here being conscripted. Is that clear enough now? Do you understand the threat from Putin now? We've just told you mm. that you, average, you know, Bob from the UK, you know, Bob the Builder, working a nine-to-five job, you're going to have to give that job up, pick up a weapon, put on a dodgy helmet, like Dad's army, and go straight to war with the Russians within six years. Is that clear enough? Now, will you donate some money to Ukraine? Right. Have I scared you enough yet? Yeah, what so, you might have done, if I believe so the rules to, to keep the, the money and weapons what else are, well, for Ukraine. Well, what other reason could there be for well, talking it, about it, war with it, Russia? It's dark times, and you know, obviously, pathocrats everywhere are pretty destructively going nuts. So, another one is if not the Ukraine front itself, then they're thinking of shaping another one in Europe against which to send British men to die in a war I presume they think they can control like they have Ukraine it didn't escalate into mad and it's fairly you know kept within mm-hmm. certain parameters because well why would you do that well another motive isn't the ex- it's not the external the, the, my, my, my idea is that they keep talking about the rules based orders and all this international shit but really it's, it's mo- mostly a focus on internal it's to save off incipient revolution. And who's your main threat? It will be young males mm. inside your country. Mm. So you can get them out the door mm. to die on foreign fields. You get to survive revolution. The problem with getting them out the door to die on foreign fields is there has to be someone shooting at them. And you've got Russia. It's an Russia's aw- not awesome going to be shooting anybody. Well, if you can provoke the situation so that they do... Russia's not that stupid. Russia's had had enough, uh, hard enough time, uh, uh, enough enough on its plate w- with dealing with Ukraine, which is not over and is going to take several more years. Russia's not in a position. Oh, not, then, then, no interest. then send them to that front. But then, then nobody's going to go there. I mean, you can try, but no, you know, no average Brit is going to take up and head off to Ukraine and start shooting Russians. Like, put this back up because we, I, missed, I meant to go through the, the first few paragraphs of this one. Uh, why it may be too late. This, the first few paragraphs actually just uh, explained. <laughs> I, I just find this all so funny. Like, the, the people are just, their heads are so far up their asses. For the first time in generations, Britain, have, Britain have, has been gripped by the fear of a third world war. Right, I wonder where did that fear of a third world war come from? Britain was just gripped by it. Did, that, did they make it up themselves? The average Brits just went, holy shit, I think there's going to be a third world war. Or did someone tell them, okay, apparently the media has been telling them and the government. 
It began when the Norwegian Commander-in-Chief Eric Christofferson, no relation to Chris Christofferson, predicted that the West had two, maybe three years to prepare for war with Russia. He was echoing similar warnings from other NATO chiefs. Then Donald Trump triumphed again in New Hampshire. This is what it's all going downhill. Like it's just these were all very right. bad omens, very bad omens. Donald Trump again tri- uh, triumphing in, in, <coughs> in the New Hampshire primary, thereby rendering a Biden-Trump rematch next November a racing certainty, which raises the specter of chaos in Washington, with dire consequences for Ukraine, for Europe, and the cause of democracy. Because if America's out of the picture, because it's too, you know, just you know, embroiled in, in, in a, a hissy, you know, catfight between Trump and, and, and Biden and then Trump and uh, the CIA or whatever. Just that they've got too many things that are going on there to think about. And if they're friends back in Europe, Europe is just left bereft, isolated, alone, quivering. Uh, quivering in the face of the Russian bear, like something out of a romance novel. Anyway, um, uh, Europe and the Close March. And the weekend, and the week ended, <clears throat> as if just the cherry on the cake, just to bring it all home. The week ended with the ominous appearance of Vladimir Putin. He appeared. Uh, I'm reliably told that he actually did, actually, literally, just appear there, like in a kind of cloud of smoke. Mm. He, you know, there were just cameras on a, you know, just on an empty area in Kaliningrad, and he just, he kind of, what's the term, manifested or. or he just materialized yeah. out of thin air in yeah. Leningrad because, uh, you know, that's what he does. Um, and this is Russia's fortified enclave between Poland and Lithuania. Putin's presence there is a stark reminder that if NATO leaves Ukraine in the lurch, Russia is ready to move against the Baltic states too. So his presence there, is that it's, not, <coughs> it's not the fact that Russia has had Kaliningrad for, what? 80 years. 80 years and has had all of its military installations there for a very long time. It's the fact that Putin just happened to go there that that is evidence that Russia is ready to move against the Baltic states. Yeah. You know, the, so it's dangerous. I mean... The Suwalki gap. They've got it all yeah. in the media articles. I don't think we, we quite understand the extent to which the, the Anglosphere media went full. According to the Telegraph, the, the Telegraph here, like, you could, you could... You'd have to assume that by the same token, if you... If you, for example, went to your neighbor's house, you appeared in your neighbor's house, that would be evidence that you're ready to move against your neighbor, right? Uh, Or actually, no, it's not even that. If you appear in your own garden, close to the fence with your neighbor, that's evidence that you're about to move on your neighbor's house and take it over. Um, It's bizarre. It's just, I I I can't take these people seriously. Like, I mean, they're trying to put a story together and they just, Putin just happens to go to Kaliningrad, which he has done several times in the past. It's part of Russia, has been for 80 years. To, to he speak goes, at a youth forum. Right, he's supposed to speak at a youth forum in Kaliningrad. And that is evidence for these people, just like as in to fulfill their own That's, prophecy, that this means... Putin is telling us, I'm about to invade the Baltics. Yeah, I'm not actually here to speak at a youth forum. The fact that I'm here, and only the fact that I'm here, means that, I suppose from Kaliningrad because it's in between Lithuania and uh, Poland only because he's here he's there does it mean that the Russian forces will be moving from Kaliningrad to to into Poland and Lithuania because he visited there 
So the, the specific scenario they floated in British press was that um, Russian troops are poised sometime within the next five, six years to invade from um, Belarus into Kaliningrad yeah. through the Suvalki Gap, yes. so-called. So anytime Putin appears on, on any, any of Russia's borders with other countries, he's signaling that he's, signaling he's going to invade that country that he stood beside. Apparently. Okay. Uh, this didn't just. Uh, this wasn't just a, the British having a, a normal one. Um, down in Australia, they, they've got the media telling people to prepare for mass conscription as well. Where Australia? Uh, News.com.au. Australia ah. must consider bringing back conscription as all-out war with Russia looms. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's the entire atmosphere. The word has gone out. And that, that NATO guy they mentioned, it began last week. It's interesting that it came from NATO first. So, so Australia's going to send troops halfway around the world. Literally, I mean, depending on where they come from, Australia, they literally, literally the other side of the planet, the, the antipode. Oh. Because Australia, like, say, they, like the, the, the east coast of Australia is more or less the antipode of... of um, of like Eastern Europe. You've got to see the, the playbook they work from is like this. Australia, for example, they lost most of their troops in World War I fighting in one specific spot, mm. Gallipoli, mm. which is basically the Straits of Bosphorus. What okay. were they doing there? Johnny Turk. Churchill had them go there to fight the Turks ostensibly, the old Ottoman regime. Why? To draw down Russian interests and to keep Russia in the First World War. Mm. It was a sick game where the idea was that the British imperial elite would try to make it look to Russia like we're trying to take Istanbul. Whereas it had been understood when they formed an alliance against imperial Germany beforehand, the Triple Entente, that Russia will come in the war and the one of the things they could get out of it would be either access to or control over what they've always coveted, mm. Constantinople, the head of orthodoxy. You see? Mm -hmm. So, Aussies have been brought in to die in their thousands before for a mm. war that was real, but was a ruse, mm. a geopolitical bullshit ruse, mm. like a hundred years ago. It forms the basis, in fact, of Aussies' national identity, mm. the Anzac, mm -hmm. the great heroic war dead. So, they, when they talk about another world war looming, this is, this is bread and butter for them. Mm. This is normal for them. They're yeah, having a normal it's, one. It's come come around. It's just the, come around again. On the cycle, yeah. And it's they, new to people. They never normalize. They never... The, the UN and diversity and international democracy of nations, That they, they never... They, they gave lip service to that. Mm. And mutually assured destruction and so on. Whatever, yeah. From nuclear weapons. Mm. It's just carry on with the great game yeah and so that's why I, I, I wouldn't seriously I would not put a pass into because what was going on at that time there was a lot of lefty like, the Russian revolution had happened there was a shitload of labor unrest unions during and after the war first world war I think they're just trying um, to, I think they're just trying to spread uh, insecurity and, and fear among the population there's somebody trying to put, putting these messages out they're all putting the messages out obviously but in, in, in concert with each other and it's, it's designed just to create a to generate a sense of insecurity among the general population 
and hopefully it means they won't vote Trump in Americans' case. Or what, is it supposed to have tangible political outcomes, or I don't know. I don't know what their what what their. I mean, I don't know obviously what their goal is, but the result of their goal is. You imagine them doing all this talking about war with Russia and conscription and talking as if they're as, as the first as if, they mean as, it. as if it's the first or second world war brewing yeah. again, and then nothing comes of it. Well, why do you do that? Well, just because you know. Um, but again, maybe it's it's, it's actually maybe really instructive because what we might be seeing and seeing how this is playing out, we might actually be seeing how things are, are getting a, getting an idea of how things played out in the lead up to the Second World War. Uh, that is lost to history now, at least in terms of the, the, the view of the, the person on the street, at least who had a bit of sense and could see, could see that there was all sorts of kind of manipulations and, and you know, <clears throat> rabble rousing and, and basically creating the conditions for a war that, was, that wasn't necessary, you know. Because uh, it's like as much as, you, regardless of much, uh, how many history books you, or documentaries you watch on the Second World War or whatever, that's, they're no substitute for actually being in the position that we are right now, which mm-hmm. is on the ground and seeing what's happening and seeing from a, on a day-to-day basis the kind of the, the the different the different types of messaging and the different manipulations and lies and distortions and twisting and accusations and stuff that are coming out that all contribute to the overall uh, kind of fervor, you know, that can, in theory, spill over into. Or end up in, in it's not spilled kind of, over. It, no, it's, it's calculated. Yeah. Now things can get out of hand. Yeah. Once you start the fires, yeah. but um, that's why I, I, <clears throat> I yeah, I mean, my, I didn't come up with that myself. It's written by Lobachevsky in Political Pornology from his observations when he lived through this stuff during World War Two. He says a pathocracy reaches a certain point where it becomes a moral imperative from their mor- morality, which mm-hmm. is totally not human, but whatever. It has a logic to it, a pseudo-morality. Mm-hmm. It reaches a point where it becomes basically like, kind of like what Netanyahu said, is do or die. Mm. A biological imperative to stave off revolution slash our imminent demise. They want it to go on forever. They always do. And so what better way than to have your likely main opponent, the younger men mm-hmm. in the country you're ruling over, mm-hmm. than to send them off to die against, quote, a, an obstinate and well-armed foe mm-hmm. who will then be revered in paeons for generations to come, which keeps people attracted to the national mythos. Look mm-hmm. at the Brits every year at, at, at uh, the cenotaph. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's completely a distortion. After World War I, most ordinary Britons remembered World War I as Jesus Christ. Never again meant, never again am I going to let London mm-hmm. send me, go to a pointless war and keep mm-hmm. it going and just slaughter entire generations of people. It was against their own government. But that's been turned over the, over the passing generations now into the, the yeah. poppy is now a symbol of British boastful jingoistic mm-hmm. pride that encourages as much as is, is remembering the war right. dead who were duped by right. the government it keeps, yeah to keep it alive like you said and support and, and keep people uh, buoyed up in the event that we ever need you to do this again and that is a good thing basically it was it was a it was a, it was a, a sacrifice for, for queen and country and they're all heroes and stuff you know <clears throat> I, I think yeah 
I think you're right, though, that this is an unrealistic scenario because of all – it's a different world now. The Houthis, they have to try and do diplomacy to try and get the Houthis to stop. They can't physically stop them, it seems. Yeah. Um, so it's not realistically going to come to that. But And it, mad, mad still applies. Mutual issue destruction yeah. still applies. I mean, regardless, they can send, you know, take troops from Australia, take troops from New Zealand, take troops from the Five Eyes, whatever, and everyone else, anyone else who will volunteer and muster an army in Eastern Europe in the Baltics or something on Russia's border. And they can, you know, they'll have to kind of invade, they'll have to start something going. But Russia has made it clear, and like this is obviously the case with any other nuclear armed uh, country, that if it got to the point where Russia thought that its existence was imperiled, it would have. No compunction about uh, turning London, Paris, Berlin, Madrid, Rome, and uh, Sydney into glass parking lots, and they all know that. So they obviously their their talk of going to war with Russia carries that implication of it ultimately being a, a, a nuclear exchange, and I don't think any of them are have any intention of going there because it's like the former killing all his cattle, you know. They just ruined the whole game for themselves and everybody else. So I think that... Well, American nukes are back in British soil yeah. for the first time in 15 yeah. years. But you have to put all that in, in position in order to, you know... Back up your fighting talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You have to have some <coughs> behind it. Anyway, uh, on a more local level, we're getting on, we're getting on here. On a more local level, uh, this maybe this sums up what's gonna, <laughs> been going on in France. Uh, for the past week, uh, people probably know French farmers unhappy with basically, you know, you can you can argue about the details, or whatever. But uh, French farmers are unhappy at about the same things that German farmers are unhappy about, and Dutch farmers in particular, and other farmers who are in European countries who have joined in. Um, they're basically what it resolves down to is Western governments. Green New Deal or greening of the economy and all of the measures they put in place that are uh, affecting negatively affecting farmers and their incomes as a result. So this is what farmers, part of what farmers have been doing in France recently and are still doing. Sorry. Ah, la manure. Black and roads, highways. Apparently, Paris is going to be blockaded starting from tomorrow, Monday. Um, and they've also been on the, on, the, on the border, close to the border between France and Spain and Portugal. French farmers have been stopping imports of products, particular products that uh, that are being brought in for and sold at a cheaper price, being brought in, ordered, let's say, by big department stores and stuff, or sorry, uh, grocery stores, grocery chains, and uh, stopping those trucks, emptying the 
emptying the products out of it and, uh, and in some cases overturning and burning the <laughs> burning the trucks. So uh, they're not happy, basically. Farmers are being squeezed and pushed by governments and, it's, and it all does res- resolve because like, I saw some bullshit community note on some post on Twitter where the person said that it was because of, uh, you know, government's uh, uh, kind of net zero or you know, greening, of the, greening of the economy um, policies, that that was, uh, that was why the French farmers were protesting and the community said it's not actually this, it's about the price of fuel and uh, uh, blah, 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 subsidies or whatever, you know what I mean? It's not about, but it's like, that's stupid. I mean, so many people in community notes have no fucking idea what they're talking about. But anyway... Um, Technically, it's correct, though. It's technically correct, but it's not because those policies are directly related yeah. to. They come from the government's um, net zero, yeah. anti climate change policies. It does all resolve back to uh, climate change, government policies around climate change. Yeah, yeah. The, the, zero carbon, the, they, I should say. They work. They work hard, and they get a shitty end of the deal. The shitty end. They get hardly. They get like. I don't know, hundreds of euros a month or something. Um, not even a thousand. Yeah, and they're dirt poor and they're faced with suicide or ruin and that's, on the, indirectly, then that is, you can say, all linked back to that's, that being some kind of crazy, destructive goal. That is more explicitly stated in the case of the Netherlands and Germany where, and in Ireland as well. There's no, there's no backlash against it in Ireland yet, but they are explicitly saying we're trying to cull herds and reduce the numbers of farmers by a third. They don't dare do that in France. France has the largest agricultural Economy industry in Europe, yeah. in Europe, and so it's a lot more touchy, you know. So it's been happening maybe more slyly, where there's just constant downward pressure. Yeah. Um, well, as far as the farmers are concerned, on on what they get paid for their produce, mm-hmm. and that's why they're bitchy about imports because imports are usually often cheaper, and they undercut their own prices. And the big chain stores will always go for those, of course, mm-hmm. seeking profit and ever higher return. Yeah. And they're sick of the corruption. The yeah, the retail store owners who are in bed with government in typical corporate fashion, they their profits go up and up and up, and their wages go down and down and down. Mm-hmm. And so they're done. Um, we've been here before, but this is worse, though. In 2018, I remember, summer of 2018, there was a serious farmers' protest. Not summer, uh... January 2018. Later that year, the yellow vest kicked off. But the, the user, the sort of customer end of things, where like people were feeling the pinch more generally. But it began, I remember, with a big, big farmer's protest, locking down some highways, doing some of that stuff, spraying manure on a few prefectures. This time, it's like 10 times worse in numbers. Mm-hmm. They've, they've burned down a building in Narbonne, which is a government building, mm-hmm. kind of. It's like a, a welfare agency for... An insurance company for for farmers' workers. Uh, they sprayed a lot more buildings with manure. They've mm-hmm. been a lot more aggressive in mm-hmm. the numbers. And so this thing is about a blockade of Paris. I don't know what, how literally a blockade. Is it just highways and some main roads? Yeah, if, I've often thought, you know, what would happen? People were, if, if, we were ever, if people were ever going to get serious about doing something to basically reverse the rot mm-hmm. which typically happens from the center out right in the mm-hmm. capitals of western countries what would happen if the food growing peripheries got smart and basically laid siege to the capitals 
That's what, kind of where we're at. It could come. It could, it could get there pretty easy. Um, breaking news. We'll have to watch and see where that goes. Oh, but for, before you leave that topic, though, I've got to mention the fact that this is all happening while Macron is in India. Yeah. He's coming back tomorrow. Mm-hmm. He's got his new youngest ever his gay, boy. half-Jewish prime minister mm-hmm. handling it. 34, yeah. You, you, you'll be all right. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. off to India. He takes it really seriously, yeah. This one, um, breaking news, first time ever, <laughs> three U.S. troops killed and 25 injured in drone attack in Jordan. Jordan? Against a base in Jordan. Probably connected with the facility that produces the ISIS terrorists they send over into Syria. The, in jo- yeah. The incident is the most significant attack against U.S. force in the Middle East since Iran-backed militias began uh, unleashing waves of strikes against U.S.-led coalition bases. Uh, so it's basically, Joe Biden said it was carried out by Iran-backed militants. Um, <clears throat> so, and, and the Which fact, the tele- again, the Telegraph says the incident is the most significant attack against U.S. forces in the Middle East since Iran-backed militias. Um, three killed, 25 injured. That's only because they've decided to admit this one. Like we talked last week about all those uh, concussions, uh, yeah. traumatic brain injuries in, in Iraqi bases and stuff, you know. Obviously, for some reason, they've decided to uh, let the cat out on this one and say that three were actually killed and 25 injured. But this is not the first time it it's happened. Have, Again, it's all stage managed, you know what I mean? Well, yeah, but this must have been bigger or something. Or it might have been or more. harder to cover. Yeah. Well, again, like we've been talking about, you, can't, you can never tell uh, in, in, in the kind of generalized war situation that we're in, whether there's conflicts kind of in various different places you can never tell um, particularly when it's the West particularly America uh, when they're being attacked they're they're um, their openness <laughs> and transparency on what actually happened leaves a lot to be desired to say the least um, so yeah that's, that's first, so does that mean There'll be strikes against Iran or just Iran, Iran-backed Iran militias. No, Iran-backed militias will be maybe strikes against uh, Iran-backed militias in Iraq or Syria as a response probably in the next few days. Uh, or, or the White House will plead with someone to plead with someone to plead with maybe, someone. Yeah. To, uh, no, well, really. they're, not, they're not shy about shooting off the odd cruise missile into certain you know, uh-huh. areas in, in, in Iraq or Syria. But this one just... As a note, just to remind you about, maybe you forgot about COVID, but BBC misrepresented COVID risk to boost lockdown support and inqu- the inquiries have been told. Epidemiologist Professor Mark Wallhouse criticised the corporation for reporting rare deaths among healthy adults as the norm during the pandemic. BBC was allowed to, was allowed, allowed by who? BBC was allowed to misrepresent the risk posed by COVID to most people to boost public support for lockdown. UK COVID inquiry has heard. Eminent epi- epidemiologist and government advisor Woolhouse lambasted, lambasted, lambasted the corporation for having repeatedly reported rare deaths or illnesses among healthy adults as if they were the norm. He said this created the misleading impression among viewers at the start of the pandemic that we were all at risk. And the virus does not discriminate. Do you remember that? The virus doesn't discriminate. You're all at risk. Mm. This is very... Remember how you were fooled and lied to and manipulated and terrorized? 
this is this is very carefully written because in in one move here they're pushing the BBC under the bus while giving it an out because it was quote allowed to do so by what the gods the gods of government gods, yes Whitehall um, super this more past in the book mm. I don't think that, that yeah. The British COVID inquiry. Yeah. <laughs> the stuff it, that actually comes out is the tip of the iceberg, obviously. That's oh, yeah. the tip of the iceberg. Um, yeah. So. We didn't get to the Texas border. Texas border. Just give us a quick wrap up. We don't have to go into it in too much detail. What's happening? Well, I'm not sure. Because, like. Well, we know, what, we, we know the details of what's going on, right? The, well, the details are that there's a fight over Eagle Pass, one particular spot, mm-hmm. Shelby Park, next to Eagle Pass. Yeah. Um, they were just, m- migrants are coming over the river and just, and they're being processed there. It's not It's not just where they're getting in. It's basically a kind of a, hi, welcome to the United States, yeah. papers, please. Oh, you don't have any, fine, we're given to you. Mm-hmm. Off you go. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a processing place, you know. Um, there's NGOs there, there's government workers there, they're, they're all in on it, so to speak. So, in, ostensibly, Texas state said enough of this shit, and they um, brought down Texas National Guard to... Mm-hmm. Put raise wire up to stop yeah, them. Yeah, and physically stop them. Mm-hmm. Um, which then caused the a showdown, court. the Supreme Court ruled, ah, you can't do that, that's federal jurisdiction. So and federal Texas troops, says... Federal troops came down and started removing the raise wire. Did they? Yeah. So, uh, so there's no standoff as yet, but I mean, apparently more more other other states are sending their their national guard and other you know private or whatever. Half of the U.S. states have issued support, and right. some will send right. actual troops to help. But and in response, the Biden government cuts off, stops contracts, stops stops approving contracts for LNG for Texas uh, gas companies to to extract and export LNG. Well, the Biden White House says, yeah, we're withholding temporarily mm. further export licenses for LNG, which mm. affects Texas most because it's basically LNG's where it all comes out of in the United States or much of it. Um, but the Biden White House didn't connect the issues. They said it's for climate. Of course. To what? save the planet. Hello? Who believes that? But yeah, you, you, you reckon that in Texas they are understanding this as a shot across the bow. Of course, yeah. Fun, fun and simple. Okay. Um, Here's I've got a few questions about it though. Someone has videoed, like, we don't have time to play it. Maybe next week. There's video of people who have lived near there, and they just like here's the spot where the issue is. Okay, follow me, and they get in the car and they drive half a mile down the road, and the gate's wide open, and there's people coming through like mm-hmm. either side of it. And he's like, they're still coming in. Mm-hmm. The media's like got the whole focus point on this one spot, but either side of it they're pulling over. So I'm not I'm not sure. I'm thinking trap, possibly. You know, this is right as this Civil War movie is being promoted in the US. The new Alex Garland movie. Um, it's all a bit contrived, no? Civil War would be how they'd like to see it. Because the last thing, remember what we discussed with the British conscription thing, the last thing they want is revolution. If you see it's coming anyway, you try and shape it too. Mm-hmm. It's better if it goes 50-50. Mm-hmm. You, want, you want chaos. You want people fighting either with each other or within one country or fighting against some other, you know, you know, c- 
cut out kind of anime, you know what I mean? Like like you're saying, yeah. It's all. But, you know, but that's, that's just a caveat. But, uh, yeah, I got to admit, it looks like, I mean, there's a truck or convoy heading for the border uh, as a show of support to Texans or they'll, they'll, it'll be like a, a vigilante group that physically helps out mm-hmm. with policing the thing. I'm not sure what it's going to play out, but apparently they get there tomorrow, so we'll see mm-hmm. um, how big that convoy is. It's, it's coming from many other states, not just Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, this could be the American Freedom Convoy and more. It's too early to call it. <laughs> I can never trust anything that comes out no. of the U.S. It takes a while, you know, to sift things down. And yeah. to, it could go away or uh, it could be used as a as something to, to stir things up. But we don't know. We'll have to just wait and see. You're only going to be able to look at it all in hindsight and get an idea of what was actually going on, you know. It's hard to predict it forward, you know. It's easier to predict it backwards. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of smoke here. Yeah, know? yeah. Anyway, um, did you hear that a man died after falling into a giant coffee vat? That's terrible. Where did that happen? It wasn't so bad. His grieving widow said that he didn't suffer because it was instant. <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah. That's so on that hilarious note, we're... Do you write your own jokes? I do, yeah. We'll leave it there for this week, folks. Thanks for listening, watching, commenting. We hope you enjoy the show. We'll be back next week with another one. As usual, go up. They're all telling you to hit the like button. Hit the like button. Hit the like button. Subscribe. Hit all the buttons, not just the like button. Uh, Whatever buttons you can find, hit them all. Um, Because, you know, why not at this point? Uh, So, yeah. So, until then, have a good week, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks for watching. Bye, all. Can't stop the signal now.